Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to another episode of the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I am so excited to have you here for today's interview with the one and only Dana of Musings by Dana. They are a self-care coach, and today we are going to talk all about one of the more lesser known, more lesser known, is that a thing? Uh, One of the lesser known (laughs) forms of neurodivergence, and that is long-term anxiety and depression. Yes, it turns out that having Having anxiety and depression for a long time actually changes the way your brain works, and having a brain that is neurologically different in some significant way is the definition of neurodivergent. So we're going to talk all about some of these differences that occur when you have anxiety and depression for a long time, and we're also going to dig into how to cope when your anxiety and depression are chronic. So without any further ado, let's dive on into it. Hey, Dana, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Megan? I am also doing good. Thanks for asking. I am so, so, so excited to have you here on the podcast. Uh, But before we jump into everything, why don't you just let everybody know where they can find you and a little bit about yourself? Okay. So I'm Dana. Um, You can find me um, on Instagram at Musings by Dana. Um, What about me? (laughs) So I am a self-care coach. Um, I blog about self-care topics as well over at musingsbydana.com. I personally, I am someone who likes to do some things like write letters and just some like nerdy things like that. So that's a little bit about me. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So do you like write letters that you actually end up sending people or are they like letters you would never send? Definitely. I send them. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) I have a whole bunch of um, pen pals across the world. Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you. How did you get into pen pals? This is totally off topic, but now I got to know. I um, used to write with my great grandmother before she passed. um, And I actually found more pen pals just once I realized it was still something people were doing. That is fantastic. That is so cool. Okay. Total side note, but everybody go out and get themselves a pen pal because that sounds like a really great form of self-care. Um, <laughs> so today we are going to talk about depression and anxiety and how having those things long-term is actually its own form of neurodivergence. So Dana, why don't you tell me a little bit about your lived experience with anxiety and depression? Yes. So I have had anxiety since I was a small child and I've also struggled with depression as well since I was very young. Um, I have, you know, sought treatment for that and worked not through it, but I've learned how to cope with it better, which I think is just a huge part of the process is learning how to cope. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Like I think, especially for those of us who have had anxiety and depression since a really young age, um, I think those things are so chronic. They're never going to go away completely. It it feels like, at least for many of us, that's just the case. They'll always be back. Um, And so learning how to cope is so important instead of like feeling like I have to get rid of this. I have to get rid of this, which is sort of what we wanted to talk about with this idea of 
long-term anxiety and depression actually being a form of neurodivergence. So could you speak to that a little bit? Like how does having anxiety and depression for a long period of time change the way your brain works? Yeah. So it just, it changes the way you think about the world um, in a way. And even when you're not in necessarily the worst period of anxiety or depression, you still kind of have a different thinking pattern than maybe someone else would. Absolutely. It's like those, um, I think they're called neural pathways. Um, and they're basically well-worn paths in your brain that you get used to thinking the same patterns. And so it becomes more natural for your brain to think in those patterns. And so like having anxiety and or depression for a really long time, it, it fundamentally changes the way that your brain works. And like Dana was saying, changes the way that you see things. And that is the definition of neurodivergent is being, having a brain that is neurologically different in some significant way. Like that's the definition. So (laughs) it turns out that if you have been listening to the podcast and you're like, oh my goodness, I totally relate to all of this neurodivergent stuff, but I don't really feel like I have ADHD or I don't really feel like I'm autistic or I don't have learning disorders. You know, if none of those specific diagnoses or conditions fit, but you know that you have had anxiety and or depression for a long time, that might be why you relate so heavily. Um, Do you identify as neurodivergent, Dana? And it's totally okay, whatever answer. (laughs) Yes, I do, actually, Um, for a few different reasons, definitely on the long-term anxiety and depression standpoint, Um, and also um, just some other things that have kind of made me wonder if maybe I might um, be autistic or have ADHD, Um, but I still haven't fully explored that yet. Absolutely. And this is very much a neurodivergent, curious, friendly space. (laughs) Um, As someone who has at some point assumed I have had almost everything in the DSM, um, I totally welcome people who are questioning their diagnoses or their experiences. So yeah. And, and I think there's something to be said for just uh, identifying as neurodivergent in general. Um, I know that's very much how I identify is just like, I'm neurodivergent and I don't know that I can really put a more specific label on it, but I know that my brain is different (laughs) for sure. Yes. That's something I've been thinking a lot about is maybe I don't need to stick a super specific label on myself. Um, and I don't necessarily need someone else to like a doctor to do that either. I'm okay with the label of neurodivergent, at least at this time in my life. Yeah. I love that you said it that way too, at least at this point in my life, like things change, (laughs) people change and that's okay. And it's okay for things to be good the way they are right now. And it's okay if in the future you need something different. So I want to go back to what you were saying towards the beginning about learning to cope with your anxiety and depression. Now, excuse me, (laughs) you are a self-care coach. So I'm assuming you have developed some really killer self-care um, to help, you know, take care of yourself. So what are some of your favorite self-care practices for anxiety and what are your favorite self-care practices for depression and are they different? Yes, they are different. Um, I would say I have different skills that help me with depression and anxiety. So I would say depression, you have to think about the fact that you're not going to have as much energy during those times. Um, 
So you have to find coping skills like, you know, what's a meal that you can, like finding meals that you like that are somewhat healthy-ish, at least some of the time, <laughs> um, that you can, you know, pop in the microwave or that you can cook on a day where you have more spoons and then you can have leftovers throughout the week or things like that. Um, so I'm going to pause you right there. What do you mean by days where you have more spoons? Like, yeah, where you have more, um, I guess some people would refer to it as energy, but it's kind of like this, it takes spoons to kind of do anything. I'm not the inventor of that, you know, but um, it's basically like, you know, say it takes some amount of energy or, and is energy the right word there? Sure. I think energy, motivation. Um... Yeah. Energy and motivation. I was looking for the other word that went with it. <laughs> <laughs> so energy and motivation to do a certain task. Um, so maybe for some people, they have more spoons on certain days than others. And that can happen with um, chronic illnesses, um, especially, but any other condition as well. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your self-care strategies. I just, I love spoon theory personally. I think it's amazing. I I just wanted to hear like your thoughts on it. And maybe for listeners who don't know about spoon theory, just wanted to hear you explain a little bit more about how that works. (laughs) Yeah. And then I would also say as far as depression, um, coping skills and self-care, um, trying to think about things like personal hygiene still, um, cause that can be really challenging. I know not just for people with depression, but other, um, you know, if you struggle with executive functioning, that can be hard too. Um, but you know, things like how can I forgive myself, you know, just take the time to forgive yourself if you can't do a hundred percent the best at you know, that all the time and say, you know what, I brushed my teeth and it was for 30 seconds today. And that's better than not brushing my teeth at all. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So what about for anxiety? How have you found ways to cope with that? Anxiety for me tends to look like having nervous energy a lot of the time. So I tend to try and use that to my advantage and you know, if there's somewhere that I want to go on a walk that's nearby, um, I can do that. Um, um, what else do I do? I like something that makes me get up and physically move to some degree. Um, some kind of like, some people don't like the tapping kind of motions, but some people do for anxiety. It personally helps me. Like if I tap, I'm looking at my hand because I was just tapping on, on my leg. <laughs> you know, that's just... Um, something that helps a lot of people, I think. Absolutely. I feel like movement helps you complete the stress response. So like when we're experiencing anxiety, there is a physical stress in our body that tells us that we are unsafe. And that is usually released when we try to fight back or we try to run away. But so many of us, especially in modern culture, tend towards the uh, freeze or fawn responses, which don't actually complete the stress cycle. Um, 
so I think movement really helps where your body is like, okay, I'm doing something about the stressor, even if you're really not, you know, but it feels like it to your body. And yes. that's really important. Uh, that's really important. I think, especially in situations where there isn't something that you can directly do about the stressor at that time, just to get some movement. And then once you've gotten that distance from the anxiety, then maybe you can look at the stressor in a different light. Oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what I should probably do more often instead of doom scrolling <laughs> through my phone. <laughs> we all do it. It's okay. What, what would you say, like, do you have any tips for people who are doom scrolling, like how to break out of that? That is something that I am currently working on myself because, um, I feel like sometimes when I can't do my regular coping skills, like, you know, it's, you know, the middle of the night and I get anxious, you know, I can't just go on a walk in the middle of the night. So that's something that I am currently working on is finding things to break the doom scrolling. And here are a couple of the things that have worked for me. Um, sometimes you just have to put your phone down and go get water. Um, something that, you know, think about what does your body physiologically need right now that you can satisfy. And that breaks the cycle. You, you might think you're going to go back to your phone, but if you break that cycle, you're less likely to than you think. At least some of the time you will realize, oh, I need to do this other activity instead. You know, whether, for me, that's sleep. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, for some people that might be, oh, I should have been doing some of my work right now or, you know, whatever it is. Right, right. Exactly. Breaking that cycle in whatever small way you can. I love that. That's really smart. I think it can be such a huge challenge just to put the phone down. I think something that has worked for me every now and again is like, okay, I won't put my phone down, but I'll bring it with me while I go to do something else. And then I inevitably do put the phone down because I'm trying to do something else. And like that sort of breaks it. I don't know if you found I like that, that helpful, but yeah. <laughs> Or sometimes another thing I'll do is I'll listen to something on an app that doesn't want you to like go on other apps, like social media apps at the same time. Mm -hmm. Trying to think of a good app like that. But I've done that. Like if I want to listen to something on YouTube that I can just listen to and put down, I'll do that sometimes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Apps that don't let you use other apps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, so I had another question sort of going back to the way that anxiety and depression can be neurodivergent. I guess I was wondering what you've noticed about your own brain, um, specifically that you identify as neurodivergent type behavior, <laughs> like, and it could be behavior. It could be thought patterns. Like what have you noticed about your anxiety and depression? Like, how has it changed the way you think? Like, I know you said it changes the way you view certain things, but um, have you noticed other like signs, I guess? I would say a big one for me is executive functioning um, limits um, that I have had. Um, some of that is in the form of emotional regulation. Um, and some of that is in the form of, I don't know the proper term for it, but like the get up and go to do stuff. Right. Task initiation. Yes, that's the word. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think emotional regulation obviously goes hand in hand with depression because it's a mood disorder. So that's going to be an issue. But I think when we struggle with the executive functioning of, of mood regulation, like it's, it's not just depression. It's like these crazy ups and downs, like this dysregulation that you're just like, what am I feeling right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I absolutely relate to the just general executive dysfunction of like the task initiation. Like I am the queen of laying on the couch, knowing that I need to pay bills. I've needed to pay bills for three days. They are going to be overdue soon. Like I literally was going through this today. If you can't tell, um, <laughs> like it needs done, Megan, this is your job. This is part of your household responsibilities. Like, do you want to pay the late fees? And it's like, no, but I also don't want to get up. <laughs> or I, I do want to get up, but I can't. That might be more accurate. <laughs> I definitely would agree with that. Yeah, it definitely feels more like the, I want to, but I can't. What is the craziest thing that you got stuck on? Like something that seems so simple and you just, you got stuck and you're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is going to sound really silly. Are you ready? I'm so ready. It happens all the time. I'll be like, I really need to pee right now, but here I am sitting on the couch. (laughs) Yeah, you can't see me, but I am like nodding my head huge because like, yes, this happens to me all the time where I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm not going. I don't know why. (laughs) Like I have to, it's, it's bordering on an emergency at this point. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yes, it definitely happens to me way too often. Right, right. I think in recent memory, one of the worst, like most disappointing, like it just, it brought up so many emotions for me for some reason, like periods of executive dysfunction was I was meaning to film some YouTube videos. And so I showered and I did my hair and I did my makeup and I was like all ready to go. And it's like that used up all my spoons and I had no spoons left to actually film. And so I just laid in my bed and I cried and it was terrible. Executive dysfunction is definitely not a joke. And it's, it's a huge part of neurodivergence. I mean, everyone can experience executive dysfunction to some degree, but neurodivergent folks, we, we experience it a lot. Yes. For example, my mother brought me groceries the other day to be nice because she knew I had had a rough day. By the time I unloaded them, I was like, okay, I need to cook dinner. And that was as far as I got. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I never cook dinner on days that I go to the grocery store because I, I didn't even go to the grocery store. I just had groceries brought to me. Right? <laughs> I just unloaded them. Yeah. But even the act of putting even them that. away, I can totally see how that would eat up your spoons. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, so one last question I have for you, something that I I tend to ask everybody who comes on the podcast, just in some variation is if somebody is listening and they're like, oh my gosh, holy cow. I had no idea that anxiety and depression were a form of neurodivergence. What would be like the first piece of advice you would give them? Like, what would you tell somebody who is busy freaking out about that in the moment? (laughs) 
I would tell them to probably journal about those thoughts. Just journal it out, um, get them all down, and then don't jump immediately to, I need to diagnose myself. Not that there's anything wrong with self-diagnosis, but if you jump into it from that place of panic, you can sometimes get yourself way more overwhelmed than what you really need to be about something. And then once you've done the journaling, talk to somebody, reach out to somebody and tell them, hey, I'm struggling. Yeah, I really love that advice. That is honestly exactly what I have needed to hear so many times. That is really lovely. Thank you. So for anyone listening who is like, oh my gosh, every single word out of Dana's mouth has been incredible. I need to work with them. How can they work with you? So I offer um, self-care coaching. Um, I do both individual self-care coaching and small group self-care coaching for about five people at a time. Um, If you want to reach out to me on Instagram, I can get you set up with one of those offers. Okay. That sounds amazing. We will definitely be putting links to Dana's Instagram and all of that in the show notes. So that will be easily accessible to anybody listening. And, um, yeah, I think that's everything that I wanted to ask you. I just, I'm so excited and so honored that you agreed to be here on the podcast with me today. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for coming on. I will see you all next Saturday. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple podcasts and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.